It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first time of the Hail Mary 3 by OP. Get that cabbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 860 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, uh, January the 7th. My God, it's a week into 2021 already. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode as well. Please make sure you're finding the show on all your favorite podcast providers. It's much appreciated when you go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, all of those wonderful, wonderful little tiny free things to do. It's always appreciated. Uh, All right, on today's show... We're talking about the Raptors and maybe the most encouraging eight-point loss to fall to 1-6 ever. They lose 123-115 to the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix to start at their four-game Western road trip. Pascal Siakam looks like himself. OG Ananobi looks uh, very, very good and hits some shots finally. Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet, both quite good as well. And a lot to dive into from this one where there wasn't a ton of contribution after those four guys. And that kind of, I think, tells the tale of this Raptors team right now. So we're going to dive into all of it. The Pascal, the OG, the the center situation. And then I'm going to fire up the trade machine because I'm a degenerate now. I, I root for a team that stinks. And so I get to do trade machine things with no guilt, as I typically uh, not really want to do. But we're going to do it because I think it's pretty dire. The Raptors need some help in their supporting cast right now. And so we're going to dive into the trade machine later on. Uh, before we get into it all, I know this is... Weird to be doing a basketball podcast uh, as there's an attempted coup going on in the States. Obviously, we're a little bit detached from it because Canada and all that stuff. And I know most of our listeners are Canadian, but it's still uh, weird and not at all important in comparison to what's going on. And the very clear differential treatment given to these white protesters versus the protesters for the Black Lives Matter movement that were uh, assaulted, tear gassed, uh, killed in some cases by police over the course of the summer. It's just, it's another sobering, terrible reminder that things are nowhere near fixed, things are nowhere near solved, and it's just, uh, you know, I, I once again feel for the NBA players who are forced to talk about this stuff. Every time that it goes up, it goes on. You have the Jacob Blake uh, shooters not being charged as well. Of course, we saw those riots in Kenosha over the course of the summer um, that, that were a direct result of that that led to the Milwaukee Bucks starting the Wildcat strike and then the entire league having the Wildcat strike. This shit's not going on, going away, and it's uh, terrible that it's not, but it's just 
you know, a, a worthy reminder that there are far more important things in basketball right now, but we're going to be doing a podcast here for you anyway, and hope you enjoy it, and uh, most of all, hope everybody is safe, doing well, and uh, continuing the fight to eradicate white supremacy and to find some sort of long-term solution to the systemic racism that leads to the differential treatment we saw for protesters yesterday that was just frankly disgusting and terrible but with that we'll move into talking about the raptors 123 115 loss to the phoenix suns last night look as losses to fall to one and six go this one was pretty tight <laughs> like the, the, the you know obviously Yes, does it sting to fall to 1-6, and six, and does every loss make life more difficult for them as they try to get back in the standings race? And Yeah, of course, but this Suns team is really good. Like, they might be the third best team in the West, and losing to them in a game that was mostly close throughout, you know, yeah, it got to like 12 points, 15 points in the fourth quarter, but it never felt like the Raptors were that far out of reach, to be honest. You know, it's not great, but... It's not some great shame that you lost to the Suns team. They're excellent, and they have just a, a really, really perfectly built roster. I just love how their team comes together. Their bench units have been really good. It's a shame to see Campaign uh, <laughs> being this good after being one of the worst players I've ever seen in Raptors camp before the 2019-20 season. But good for him. Happy to see he's found some place where he can thrive. And look... The positive signs that we did see in this game weren't exactly like straws we were trying to grasp at. It wasn't like Pascal's previous games where, oh, he had those two nice drives and then these 10 other bad things happened. It was like legitimately full of positive, real, tangible improvements and signs that things might not be so dire with this team that against a different team than the Suns might have resulted, probably would have resulted in a win. The Suns just happened to be excellent. And we really should, I think, start with Pascal, because the outline of a good Raptors team is colored in by Pascal being what he was last night in the game. Like, he was everything that we wanted him to be through the bubble and through the first six games of this season. And really, you know, he had a lot of great moments last year as number one. This has got to be one of the better games overall that he played as a number one option. 32 points, 9 boards, 3 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, only 1 turnover, which was really encouraging to see. The playmaking continues to be there. Just the 3 assists, but there were a lot of other really excellent passes out of double teams and passes on the drive that didn't result in assists, but could have. And he shot well, 11 of 21. He tailed off a little bit near the end of the game, but I found myself even excited by Pascal Siakam's misses in this game like in the first quarter near the end near the buzzer he goes in for what is supposed to be an enormous dunk I think on Jay Crowder he misses it because he had to kind of sideswipe the defender on his way to the rim and it threw off his balance a little bit and he missed it but like seeing him miss an authoritative dunk as opposed to him like making a layup I was actually more encouraged by encouraged by the missed dunk because it was just something out of his character so far this season. It was an aggression we haven't really seen. And that persisted throughout the game. He was sizing up defenders. I mean, the Suns have a stable of guys as deep as anyone in the league, of guys who could theoretically guard Pascal Siakam. And the results were not good for Phoenix last night. I mean, Mikal Bridges just... You know, early foul trouble didn't even stand a chance. He was bullied right away. Cam Johnson, just not strong enough. Jay Crowder, nope. Absolutely no chance for DeAndre Ayton either. 
And really the only guy on the Suns who made a notably good defensive stop on Siakam last night was Chris Paul in the fourth quarter when he pulled the chair out from under him in a very genius, devilish freak move that I loved. And, you know, it sucked that it resulted in a turnover or a miss for Pascal. But boy, did I love seeing that because Chris Paul rules. But either way, that was really the only notably good defensive stop on Pascal we saw last night. The rest of his misses were, you know, very close, you know, rimming out, things like that, missing threes. There was not much in the way of resistance, and I liked that the Raptors kept going back to it, too. You know, maybe they could have gone to it a little bit more in the start of the third quarter or whatever, but, like, for the most part, they realized the matchups were there. Pascal realized the matchups were there, and he was sizing them up in a really exciting way. And the nice thing, too, is that, you know, you saw, like, this, like, shark-like mania in the eyes of Pascal when he would get one of those guys on it, which we haven't really seen. Like, that was always the look that you would get when you'd get, like, Nikola Miritich on him. It was like, oh, I'm going to cook this dude. Haven't seen that in a long time. We absolutely saw that against some very good Suns defenders in this game. I mean, the Suns, I think, came into the game with the third-best defense in the league. There's no slouch. This isn't some team that Pascal's, like, carving up. This isn't the Hawks or the Wizards or anything like that. I mean, this is a very good defensive team with a stable of guys who, in theory, can do what you know Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart did to him in the playoffs last year. Just no chance. And I thought the Raptors did a really good job of getting Siakam the ball in advantageous positions as well. I think our friend Joe Wolfon pointed out they were using the pitch back move a little bit with him, um, sort of in semi-transition, pitching it back to him to get him going downhill with a head of steam. And that seemed to work quite well because, as it turns out, the six foot nine dude who's as fast as anybody in the NBA... Uh, is hard to guard when he's driving at you straight on. And he was busting out with that extra momentum, the spin moves and the counters, and it was not just the same, you know, spin left and, you know, go into a wall that just knocks you down uh, move from Pascal. There were lots of different counters, different directions of spins and, and, you know, getting those little push shots to go too. It was just a full cupboard of things that he was busting out, and it was excellent to see. I thought the Raptors too... Like I said, they were doing a good job of getting him the ball in good spots, and I think they kind of spaced the floor a little bit better for him. In particular, I mean, how many times have we seen this season Pascal try to post up a guy, and Aaron Baines is in the dunker spot just inviting another defender to the party just by standing there, and really the only way out for Pascal once those extra defenders there is to attempt to pass to Baines, who can't catch anything right now. And so... Not having Baines stand so close to the rim, I mean, not having Baines on the floor all that often, frankly, I think really opened things up for Pascal, and that's something to you know we're going to get into as well. I mean, in the second segment on today's show, we're going to dive deep into the, the center play and what's going on there. But at least for one night, Siakam was not you know, inhibited by the presence of a 6'10 galute under the basket, and he could just kind of freely get his way there I just it's one of the better games we've seen from him as number one option it was really really encouraging and if he can kind of build on now what is two straight games of looking pretty damn good I mean he was damn good against Boston for a lot of that game too I think we're kind of on the road of okay maybe Pascal's back here and it just needed some time to iron out the offseason rust I mean if you think about it too They've played seven games now. They've only played 10 overall games in its entirety since the start of the preseason. I mean, this would typically be like game three or four of the season. And maybe that's just part of the explanation, too. Obviously, other teams have been very successful early on and have not been, you know, held up by the shortened offseason or the shortened preseason. But every team is going to deal with it differently. The Raptors were pretty deep into the bubble and obviously are doing the Tampa thing. So maybe it just was a, a matter of just getting warmed up for Pascal and it wasn't a carrying over of the yips. I don't know. 
we'll have to see. It's one game, and hopefully he doesn't revert back to the shell form he's been taking on in recent uh, in recent weeks and since the bubble. But I'm really excited. It was just it was a blast to watch him play like that. It was a blast to enjoy watching the Raptors play because a lot of the joy and the excitement of the team really does sort of begin at, with Pascal and when he's playing well. Like, he's such a fun player to watch when things are going well and such a miserable player to watch when he's in his head and he's missing and he's just not in it. That, it, like, the turnaround, like, that last night was the most fun I've had watching a Raptors game this season by far. Not even close. And they lost by eight to fall to one and six. And that's totally fine with me because we saw the outlines of what this team can look like. The problem is, of course, that after Pascal and after OG Ananobi, who finally hit some shots last night and looked damn good, finishing around the basket, hitting threes, 20 points, eight rebounds, looked excellent. And then you get to um, Kyle Lowry as well, who was outstanding and was just putting the team on his back at times. The scoring around the rim for him has been incredible, kind of doing what he did in the playoffs in this, in this Suns game where, all right, we need a bucket. I'm just going to go score over a dude who's a foot taller than me. And he did it a lot, and it was a ton of fun. I, I that was a blast to watch. You know, we saw Fred Van Vliet. I thought looked really good in this game. Kind of always hovering on the edge of control and like maybe dribbling it out of bounds. But I think the speed with which he's operating right now, the first step seems to be significantly improved, and that's opening up a lot of things, making his decision making easier, making it easier for him to finish at the rim. You know, that is really good too. But once you get past those four guys, Pascal, OG, Siakam, Lowry, or Pascal, OG, Fred, Lowry. This is a bad roster, man. <laughs> and there's like, there's some signs that maybe Norm's coming out of it. I don't know. Like, he was fine, I guess. He was good enough to allow them to get small in this game, which was good. We'll talk more about that in the segment where we talk about the center play. But, you know, it's just a pretty bereft roster right now after those top four. And the center position is just giving them absolutely nothing. And that is going to lead us into segment two where I want to dive into what we're seeing from the centers on the Raptors right now. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag. Right now, when you sign up for a free account at betonline.ag, you use uh, promo code LOCKEDON, you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus, meaning if you put in 100 bucks, you're going to get 150 to play with. If you put in 1000 bucks, you get 1500 to play with. It's a pretty damn good deal. And right now, there are so many awesome things to put your money down on. You can be betting on the NBA every single night. There are games, there are props, all these types of things. You've got the NHL starting up in six days' time. You can bet, bet on futures for awards and for where teams are going to finish in the point standings and all that stuff. It's a wonderful place if you are into making a little bit of money off of your sports. And right now, you, again, go to betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. and Use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also brought to you by CBDMD. January is important in setting the tone for the new year, and in 2021, that has never been more true. Luckily, our good friends at CBDMD are here to give you the support you need to conquer your New Year's resolutions and make this year your best one yet. And if those resolutions happen to involve fitness, they've got a brand new topical product for you that'll help keep you moving all year. CBD Relief with Lidocaine fuses CBDMD's hybrid broad-spectrum formula with fast-acting lidocaine to help provide temporary relief from minor aches and pains. And with the new bag-on-valve spray technology, 
relieve can be applied comfortably at any angle, even upside down. And to make it even easier to get the year started off right, they're offering all of our listeners 20% off of your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 20% off of your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. All right, so I mentioned I wanted to dive into the center play. And we will in just a sec. Just want to remind you, though, that on the Locks on NHL feed, the national show right now, we have a week-long series preview going on featuring all the local hosts covering every NHL team, previewing the upcoming pandemic-shortened weird season that's starting on January 13th. So go subscribe to Locked on NHL for all of your NHL preview content. Today, it is all about the Central Division. So go and listen. All right, so the centers. Look, I will certainly cop to thinking the Raptors did a much better job than they apparently have in replicating or replacing or filling in some of the production that Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka were going to leave behind. I was wrong because the Raptors went from having 48 minutes of reliably good center play most nights to having mm, between 0 and 5, depending on if Chris Boucher is on a heater. And it's not good. It's. I think there have been a lot of concerns about the defense so far this season. In particular, Nick Nurse talking about it before the game against Boston on Monday and after the game against Boston on Monday. When it wasn't really warranted, they were number five in defense going into that game. They've fallen quite a bit in the last two days with the games against Boston and Phoenix. And I think it's understandable that the defense is playing the way it is because they don't have any centers as the backstops to everything else that's going on on the floor. The Raptors play a hyper-aggressive defense. They send guys to the corners to close out extremely hard. They end up going into the, the first row sometimes as they close out so hard. But that is entirely what the plan is. And it's worked for the last couple years because they've had damn good centers sort of backing things up and reliably waiting for, for guys who put the ball on the deck at the rim. They don't have that right now. Alex Len... Too slow. He only played 12 minutes last night, just scored one point. He doesn't do much on, on, the, on the floor for you offensively. And his defense, he's just not an awesome defender. He's not mobile enough. He can't track out. He can't track back. And even when he's at the rim, he's just kind of like this big tree that guys can kind of launch themselves into, go around and finish around. And he's not really offering a ton of resistance right now. Aaron Baines has been truly dreadful like he can't be this bad I don't think there's any way he can be this bad but maybe it's not crazy that a 34 year old career backup is not quite the player we saw last year where he averaged 11 a game and was making people think oh maybe DeAndre Ayton should come off the bench I didn't expect he was going to be that player this season I thought you know just get some reliable center play from him where he can come in for 20 to 25 minutes he can be a, a guy who's a bruiser who clears the floor out for rebounding makes rebounding easier on the team rebounding has been a huge problem for the team because I don't think Aaron Baines realizes that he can like catch the ball like you can do that if you want it's kind of the object of the game in a lot of cases to catch the ball but he just seems to have like these oaken clubs for hands where he'll you know try to go for a rebound there was one instance last night where he just like spiked the ball out of bounds when there was a lightly contested rebound he was fighting for and was like, well, I guess there's nothing more I can do for this. I'm going to play volleyball. Boom. He just, he can't catch a pass right now from anybody. It doesn't matter if it's Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam. He just doesn't seem to have the hands ready, even though it's very clearly a thing they're trying to do to get him going. And if Baines is going to be this bad, like they are 
up against it in terms of time just to get some reliable center production. He is a nothing right now. You can't have him on the floor. He only played 13 minutes last night. He's very clearly like his ceremonial starter status where he'll play the first six minutes of a half and then he's out because he's not offering in anything in those six minutes he's playing. And the team has been a lot better when he is not on the floor. They were better with him last night, I guess. They were a plus four with him on the floor. But man, did they, did they ever seem to just be freer and better and more well-oiled when he was not out there clogging things up and it sucks because he seems like a likable guy he seems fun he seems like he's got you know he's obviously got the really fun twitter account that supports him that's always a good time oddly quiet right now but i it's just it's getting to the point where if you're not going to get any center play i mean they've gone from 48 minutes to zero minutes of good center play you can't have that. I thought it would be 25 to 30 minutes. Yeah, you'd probably be skating by a little bit here and there on, you know, hopefully Chris Boucher can play a decent stretch here and there. Maybe Baines, maybe Len has a nice night and you can get by with half the game of having reliable center play. And if that was the case, I feel like the Raptors are not one in six right now, but they've gotten next to nothing from that position. And it's going to require Nick Nurse to get super creative. And thankfully we saw last night against the Suns, the small lineup finally have justification to hit the floor because Norm Powell was not good or great by any means, but he was fine enough that they were able to roll out that small lineup that was very good against Boston. If you recall, held Boston to 83 points per 100 possessions. They had scored them by about five points per 100. You know, the offense wasn't great, but the offense was terrible that entire series for the Raptors. So I'm not going to really harangue them too much for that. We got to see them in the fourth quarter last night. They end up holding the Suns to about five minutes in the fourth without a point as they try to mount a comeback. I think there was a 9-0 run in there somewhere. Pretty encouraging stuff. And if they can get to that lineup with OG playing center more often, then maybe they stand a chance of getting some good center play. Because as we've talked about, as I said at the start of the season and believe more now than I did before... OG's the best center on this team. Like, he can do the most on the short roll. He's probably the best rim protector, or, you know, he's not a traditional rim protector or anything like that, but he's certainly better than what Baines or Len or even Boucher are offering right now. I think Boucher very clearly is not a center. He's a four. He is much more suited to the position that Pascal plays defensively, where he's flying out to the corners using that length. We get to see those blocked corner threes from Chris Boucher as a result. That's where he his skills where his you know upside lies on the defensive end he's too small to be a guy camped under the basket fighting for rebounds fighting for putbacks and as a sort of stationary rim protector that's not really getting the most out of what Chris Boucher offers so he's not a center I'm just it's just not happening and so finding ways to get OG to play center and getting to those lineups is going to be super important and it obviously hinges on Norm playing well or the Raptors getting a little bit creative and we saw last night the rotation got a little bit more sort of uh, you know thrown into the hopper and let's see what the hell gets spit out that's been the solution for Nurse so far all season long is all right let's just grab three names out of this hat and see if they work we didn't really see extended run for DeAndre Bembry or Malachi Flynn after the first quarter, but I think those guys deserve a little bit more run. You know, Flynn's still looking for his first made shot. I like that he looked aggressive in his four minutes last night, taking three shots. I'm happy with it. They were all good shots to me. Those will fall eventually, which is nice. Um, Bembry, I think, could be a key to those small lineups to get OG at center just because of his ball handling and his defense and his rebounding for his position. I think putting him in place of Norm in that spot is probably 
going to be a decent lineup. I talked about that in the lineups episode we did with Vivek a month ago or so, about how that's a lineup I actually am very excited to see and hope they can get to it at some point here. But Benbury seems to be in the doghouse for now. But we did see Yuta Watanabe get some run in this game. He was not terribly overwhelming in terms of his stats. He had a team worst minus 14, just three points, three boards. But I also think he could be a bit of a key to unlock those small ball lineups with OG at center too. He is like a fun little hybrid 3-4. He just seems to know where to be on the floor, which is nice. He tries like hell on defense. He's constantly staying in front of his guy. And I like that he has a little bit of dribbling to him as well. He kind of, you know, in the way Stanley Johnson cannot dribble at all without hitting it off his foot and going out of bounds, like Watanabe seems like he's got a bit of a handle. Not a, you know, run the offense type of handle, but a good tertiary handle where he's not going to be a liability. And ultimately, you just kind of need good decision makers out there right now because they've been so dogged by bad decision making that it was nice to see Watanabe in there just trying to play within himself, not doing too much. And I think he could be, you know, if you go a Lowry, Fred, Watanabe, Pascal, and OG lineup, I think that could be pretty exciting. You know, are you maybe hinting at there being some issues if Yuta Watanabe is in one of your most reliable lineups? Maybe. Yeah, probably. But you do what you can with what you're given, and there's just not a lot else in terms of options right now. Which, of course, leads me into the final segment, where we're going to talk about some trades, baby, and get some names out there floating for who the Raptors might be able to target to help sure up the bench, help sure up the center rotation. I mean, the bench in general needs some help right now. Maybe Norm kind of finding himself helps that and turns that tide a little bit, and you at least get that reliable scoring from him and Chris Boucher. And you just need some extra, you know, eighth, ninth player types to go in there. The center position to me is number one right now to focus on. And so we'll get to that in just a second and dive into some potential targets for the Raptors to look at. But first, I want to tell people about our friends over at rockauto.com, who for a car dumb dumb like me, just a godsend because it helps me not pay the mechanic all of the money the mechanic wants me to pay them. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpets. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate as well. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. 
Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so before we dive into a couple of trade targets that are the apple of my own eye, I just want to remind people that tomorrow we're going to be doing a mailbag podcast, myself and our pal Freddie Revis, who, of course, is one of the co-hosts of the Confederacy of Dunks podcast. He is going to jump on the show, answer some mailbag questions. Freddie's great. He's always one of the better mailbag question askers, and so I thought I'd have him on a mailbag, and then we could get other mailbag questions to answer. So please send him on in. Just shoot him at me uh, on Twitter, at WoodleySean, and that'll be on Friday's show. Okay, let's dive into some trades. Of course, constructing trades right now is pretty difficult just because a lot of the money the Raptors have to potentially throw in as salary-matching fodder can't be moved until February 22nd, 23rd, three months after these contracts were signed. So Aaron Baines, Chris Boucher, those guys can't be moved just yet. That doesn't mean there aren't deals to be made for the Raptors right now, and there are a few targets that come to mind for me in particular, and a few guys who are going to be involved in any trade outgoing for the Raptors. I think Norm Powell obviously is number one. It's unfortunate, but he's just the money that matches. I just don't know how valuable he's going to be right now. Obviously, potential, the potential of him opting out is of value to some team, I'm sure, to get that extra $11 bucks, And even the way he's playing... With the amount of money that's going to be out there next summer in a not very good free agent class with all the big, you know, star players kind of signing already, I kind of think Norm is going to opt out anyway because he's a 40% three-point shooter who has some pedigree behind him and some playoff experience and all that stuff. So we'll see with that. But either way, Norm's going to be a tough ticket to trade at the moment, and you'll need some improvement from him. But then you get to the point, if he's playing too well, then can you actually justify trading him because he's kind of necessary if he's your fifth best player and part of your maybe most effective lineup, can you actually justify it? So that's not easy. I think the other thing that's giving me trouble with the trade stuff is that I feel pretty uncomfortable throwing Terrence Davis into these deals that I'm making up on the trade machine just because, you know, it feels gross to get something positive out of keeping him on the team. It may be that he's involved in a trade and then he goes somewhere and the Raptors decide to get off of him that way. I would be pretty grossed out by that, but if it gets him off the team, I guess it's uh, a positive, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's giving me some uncomfortability as I put together these trades. I'm trying to avoid putting him in the deals and just talking about him in general, but we will talk about him today in a couple of these deals. So... The number one deal that I think the Raptors need to look at right now is go get Rashawn Holmes out of Sacramento, baby. That dude is killing it this season so far. He's leading the league in field goal percentage, just under 70% from the field. He's got a 22 PER right now, which is great for a uh, low usage big man. 13 points, 8.4 boards, 1.5 assists. He doesn't shoot threes at all. He hasn't attempted a three this season or hasn't made a three this season, but... He does offer rim running, he offers rim protection, he offers just competent center play who can actually finish around the basket, which is not something the Raptors have from their bigs right now, and he seems like he might be somewhat gettable, he's on an expiring $5 million contract, he's someone who is kind of at a very loaded position for that Kings team right now. They have Hassan Whiteside. They have Marvin Bagley, whose dad really, really wants him out. But I don't see anyone trading for Marvin Bagley right now, considering how he's playing. And if you're the Kings, I mean, you kind of have to see what you have in your second overall pick. So maybe clearing some space would be advantageous to them to try to get Bagley some run and center, where he probably, if he's going to be an NBA player long term, it's probably going to be at that spot, not a power forward. And so maybe he's gettable. 
Holmes, that is. I think it's tough to construct a trade just because it's hard to know just how much Sacramento is going to value him right now. He's been so good to start this season that he's probably at the peak of his value. And we know Masai Ujiri is not really going to negotiate from a position of weakness, which I don't think matters as much for these smaller periphery type deals. I think in terms of like a Harden deal, for example, that probably becomes less likely based on how the team has played and how Pascal Siakam has played because that puts the Raptors in a tough negotiating spot. It's like, hey, please take our guy who's been terrible to start the season. Please, please. Obviously, that's just not what you want to be going into a big blockbuster trade negotiation with. But when it comes to a guy like Rashawn Holmes, I think the performance of the team can be kind of gotten around a little bit in terms of the negotiating position. And so the deal I constructed here is Rashawn Holmes to the Raptors and going the other way are Stanley Johnson for salary matching purposes and Terrence Davis. I don't love it, obviously, having to include Davis in a deal like this. It just, you know, again, getting a positive thing out of having him on the team is a bummer, but it does make sense on paper. It does potentially give the Kings a look at a guy who does have some basketball talent to be sure and this is also the team that you know willingly kept Luke Walton as their coach so maybe they don't care about the hovering charges hanging over Terrence Davis right now they seem to maybe not have many morals anyway so I think Johnson and Davis for Rashawn Holmes could make some sense maybe you throw in a second round pick I don't think I'd go as far as a first just because you know Holmes is an expiring guy you're only getting 60 something games of him and I guess maybe you get his bird rights and you see if you want to keep him around long term but I think Davis plus uh, Johnson plus a second might get it done for you if you're the Raptors and the Kings. Because, again, the Kings might have some incentive to try to open up some space. I know Kings fans, I joked about last night, a couple Kings fans out there joked about Rashawn Holmes joining the Raptors. Um, (laughs) You know, it'd be nice. It'd be great. They don't seem too thrilled about the idea because he's been their best center so far this season. And losing Rashawn Holmes means you have to play Hassan Whiteside and Marvin Bagley more often, which I'm sure Kings fans aren't terribly thrilled about, especially in the Whiteside case. But this seems like a deal that could work for both sides just a little bit. Um, And maybe it's just a shuffling of the deck chairs. I don't know. Maybe it's totally off board for the Kings. Maybe they love Rashawn Holmes and want him around long term. It's hard to know exactly how they evaluate the guy, but... That's a deal to me that could make some sense. Maybe you throw in a second second. So, you know, Johnson Davis, two seconds for for Holmes to see if that can get it done. Uh, So I think Holmes would be a really nice addition. Yeah, he doesn't shoot threes. Yeah, he's not going to space the floor necessarily. You might run into a similar problem where you have him kind of standing in the space where Pascal likes to operate. But I also think that, you know, he could actually finish those little dump off passes from Siakam. He's a good big to big passer, especially if the guy he's passing to can uh, jump and dunk, which Rashawn Holmes very much can. So that's my number one target. I really, really want to see that happen because, you know, any improvement, any marginal center upgrade, any positive center play you get, any way you can bridge the gap from the zero positive minutes they're getting to the 48 they had last year, any way you can, you know, fill in any of that space is uh, is a win for me. So give me Rashawn Holmes. The other deal I constructed, this was last night, uh, may have been aided by a little bit of alcohol and uh, some longing feelings for an old favorite of mine, but I put together a trade idea with the Orlando Magic, who unfortunately just lost Markel Fultz. That sucks. I, really a bummer news for a guy who has been coming around and coming overcoming a lot of garbage in the early part of his career. And I have constructed a trade with the Orlando Magic that sees the Magic send Terrence Ross and Kem Birch to the Raptors in exchange for Stanley Johnson, Norman Powell, and Matt Thomas. In this deal, I guess the 
the upside if you are maybe you throw in a second if you're the Raptors here because Terrence Ross is good he's averaging like 20 a game this season he's been awesome uh, but he's also on a three-year contract and I wonder if maybe the 13 and a half million bucks he's got on his deal is something that the um, Orlando Magic or something are, are eager to get off of as they try to recalibrate for their future it just does not seem like this team they have is going to be what their team is in two or three years outside of Fultz once he's back and Jonathan Isaac I don't really know who is a long-term mainstay there so if you can get Terrence Ross back I mean obviously there are jokes about Terrence Ross he's become a really good player he's an excellent six six man off the bench he's a microwave scorer he's an amazing three-point shooter and I think would fit in quite nicely if you threw Terrence Ross in the Norm Powell spot in those closing lineups I mean that is a ton of shooting it's reliable shooting it's off the bounce creation in the form of Terrence Ross as well and I think that would be a ton of fun as a Terrence Ross appreciator Ken Birch gives you some help at center he's reliable he's not gonna blow your doors off or anything like that but he can actually rebound for you clear space maybe be a, a solid back-end rim protector, better than what they have right now at least, and you're still able to kind of go small. You don't have someone in there who's so good that you can't justify going small with OG at the five. Uh, going out in exchange for Ross and Ken Burch, Stanley Johnson, Norm Powell, Matt Thomas, and then maybe a second or two, um, depending on what the Magic feel. You know, this gives the Magic some money coming off the books in the form of Powell and Johnson before that Terrence Ross contract is off in three years. And it gets him a look at Matt Thomas. If you wanted to swap in Terrence Davis for Thomas there, you could you could as well. It still works. Um, but again, I don't feel terribly comfortable dealing uh, Terrence Davis to get good things, especially something as good and awesome as Terrence Ross. So so that's kind of a you know get two birds stoned at once type of deal to get some extra scoring or some more reliable scoring off the bench in place of Norm Powell and a center who can at least be a backup for you at the very least. And so I like that deal. And then after that, it's kind of hard to find deals to pursue if you're the Raptors, especially right now, because then you have to get into the business of putting in a Baines or a Boucher to try to make the money match. If you want someone a little bit more expensive, for example, I was looking at potentially Gorgie Jang playing for Memphis right now. He makes $17.5 million. If you were to pair Powell and Baines, you could potentially make that happen. You know, Jang can shoot it a little bit. He can kind of fill that Serge Ibaka role, hitting those mid-rangers and threes. Um, obviously, he's not the best defender in the world, but again, not much can be worse than what they've had so far from Baines and Len and Boucher at center and so I you know that that's one but that would have to wait the same idea if you really wanted to try to get Miles Turner or something like that if you wanted to make a big splash then that would be uh, a thing that happened has to happen later in the season too so you can throw in those bigger matching contracts to to make the money work and I should also note about the Terrence Ross trade idea or any idea that involves money coming in beyond 2021 it's really contingent upon how much the Raptors continue to value that 2021 space. And if they really want to go after a Victor Oladipo or something like that because he looks like the player he was before the injuries, then maybe they keep their powder dry and they want to hold off on adding money. But with Giannis now in Milwaukee for five years, the free agent market not looking awesome, and trade maybe being the way to go if you're the Raptors, I kind of think... The idea of getting a guy who's on a deal for longer than just this year is not the end of the world. Terrence Ross is good. He is going to fix problems on the team right now. And I think just my overarching feeling on the team is that last night's game in particular proved to me that this is not a team that needs to tear it down and change the core fundamental, you know, four guys on the team. You know, will that top four this year be a contender? No, but it can be a good, fun team and potentially grow into something more down the line, especially if Pascal can regain his old form and OG can continue to look like he did last night and Fred Van Vliet continues to be as incredible as he's been to start the year. There's something to build with here. 
the flaw is in the rest of the roster. And if you can make some moves right now, maybe they seem a little bit panicky, but maybe they're just realizing, okay, these are the issues, let's fix them now so this doesn't spiral more out of control, then I think you're kind of cooking. And so, you know, if you can take advantage of situations in Sacramento and Orlando where maybe they'd be more willing to give up those guys, move off some money, sort of recalibrate for next year because it's just not it for them, maybe that is the way forward. I would like to see it. It'd be awesome. But again, trades are tough to facilitate. So probably bet against those things taking place. That's going to do it for me on today's show. Thank you so much for uh, for listening as always. Uh, love you all. You're very, very wonderful people. And uh, I hope everyone's doing all right, holding in, hanging in, getting through this terrible pandemic with all the rest of the world burning around it. Um, but we'll always be here with the podcast for you to help and calm the nerves and give you a bit of a, a reprieve from everything else going on. So thank you as always for tuning in. I'll be back again tomorrow with Freddie Rivas to do a mailbag episode, and I'm looking very much forward to that. Uh, And that'll do it. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again on Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Now go and listen to Locked On NHL's season preview specials. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.